Over 20 million people died in the First World War. To put that in perspective, that is the same, or roughly the same population as the whole New York metropolitan area, annihilated. Truly, this is one of the darkest points in human history. And in World War I, it is full of these dark and grisly stories. But to me, one of the darkest points in the war came at the very end. The armistice to end the war was signed on November 11th, 1918. Its terms were agreed upon at 5 a.m. in the morning, and by 5.45 a.m., the last signature was made. Now, you would assume that that meant the war was over. The war was officially over at 5.45 a.m. The artillery would cease, the men would lay down the rifles, and the battlefield would grow quiet. Yet this isn't what happened at all. Uh, the armistice agreed upon actually stated the war would continue on until 11 a.m. that morning. Famously, it says the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Fighting would continue on for five more hours. And in that time, 2,738 men lost their lives. Some within minutes of the armistice taking effect. World War I was a colossal waste of life. And yet these 2,738 deaths seemed to be the greatest waste of all. Men killed and died for a war whose outcome had already been decided earlier that morning. What was the point? The light of the armistice was coming into the world, and yet darkness still maintained its grip on the battlefield. You know, as shocking as these 2,738 deaths are, and believe me, people back then were appalled that that could happen, it's not really that surprising to us, is it? For as shocked as we are at the darkness that exists in our world, we're never really surprised. We learn rather quickly in life that this world is, is very cold and very dark. I won't go into detail for the sake of the children in the room, of all of the terrible things that go on in the world, but we all know of the tragedies, the injustices, the waste of life that seems to just be a regular occurrence in our world. And often we're shocked, but we're not surprised. And it's things like World War I and the horrors that we see on the nightly news that make us read things like John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. We scratch our heads at it. You know, now as good Christians, we affirm this, that light does indeed shine in the darkness. Jesus has overcome the darkness, not the other way around. We often say these things mainly because we know it's the right Christian thing to say. And it's certainly not a wrong statement. No, in fact, it is the most correct statement of all, Jesus has overcome. It appeared as if the darkness had overtaken him, but indeed it did not. Because he died, but he rose again. And we believe that this overcoming of darkness was not just for himself, but for all of creation. That our world would be filled with light 
and the darkness would be driven out. And yet, 2,000 years later, we still experience darkness. And if anything, the darkness that we see today, sometimes it can feel a lot darker than what was going on 2,000 years ago. How can this be? If Jesus has come into the world, how can there still be darkness? If Jesus, the Word of God, brings forth both life and light, as John suggests, why is our world so full of death and darkness? And that's a question I don't think many of us really have a good answer for. But I think instead of coming up with an answer, we come up with two ways in which we cope with this dilemma. The first way is we, we just get accustomed to the darkness. You know, you spend enough time in darkness, in a darkened room, you can actually end up seeing pretty well. Did you know the old pirate eye patch, right? It wasn't originally for somebody who lost their eye. It was actually like a the only version of night vision goggles, right? They, they would carry this, this patch around their eye and cover their eye and their eye would acclimate. And when they went down from top deck to below deck into the hold of the ship, they flip it over and suddenly they could see. And it works pretty well. It's a fun little experiment to try one day. <laughs> you're able to walk around on the ship because you're acclimated to the darkness. And we actually do the same sort of thing with the darkness in the world. Instead of trying to fix it, sometimes we just learn to live with it. We teach ourselves how to operate in a darkened world, not by putting up lights, but by training ourselves to avoid all the obstacles in our way. And you know, actually, I think we get really, really good at this. So much so, we're so good at doing this, that many of us forget completely that we live in a dark world. I've worn glasses since I was 12 years old. Now, I find something almost universally common among people who wear glasses is you ask them, what's one of the first things they remember about wearing glasses? And they'll usually tell you the trees, right? I, I remember walking out of my optometrist when I was 12 years old, got my first pair of glasses, and I see this big tree standing before me, and I can see every single leaf in that tree. Every single leaf in the tree. I have no idea you can see every single leaf in the tree. Right? I, I, what I find even more strange, though, is I don't remember what trees looked like before I had my glasses. Right? I, I had no frame of reference. I don't remember what, what it was like not to have glasses. It never really occurred to me when I was a kid that I had bad vision. I'm not even quite certain when my vision went bad or if it was ever good at all. All I know is that one day, one of my teachers told my parents I was squinting too much and leaning forward too much and trying to strain to see the whiteboard. Uh, that triggered my parents taking me to an eye doctor and I got my first set of glasses. I don't remember thinking things were blurry. I don't remember sitting too close to the TV. I don't remember straining my eyes to see the whiteboard. And I think it's because I just assumed that's how the world looked. I had never known anything different. Trees were supposed to look like blurry green masses off in the distance. And often I think we do that same thing with our dark world. It's all we've ever known. We often don't realize just how unnatural it is for this world to be that dark. 
You know, death was not part of our world until after the fall. It's not how things are meant to be. And yet we say things all the time, like death is a natural part of life. Like it's the same thing as breathing or eating. It's just, it's just the way things are. There's a second way, though, also that we cope with the darkness. And that's what I'm trying to illuminate it, but illuminating it apart from Jesus. Whole movements have arisen throughout history that aim at bettering humanity, bettering human existence. But in many cases, they completely ignore Jesus or sometimes they're even hostile towards him. They flat out reject him. Modernism and, and the scientific revolution, they promised a future born of science and reason in which all the problems of humanity could be solved through human ingenuity and rational thought. And while science and modernism, the modern thought, have, have done much to progress humanity, they've done much to relieve human suffering, they've done much to prolong life. And those are things, by the way, we should celebrate because I believe they're from God. It's also laid the foundation to achieve levels of darkness in this world that previously were unknown. The same factories that made farming equipment in the world war are often the same factories to build tanks. The medical research that saved so many lives were also used by twisted minds to develop new, more sinister ways of killing people. The splitting of the atom they promised a future of relatively clean, almost limitless energy, but instead it burst the atomic bomb. Our problem is not that we didn't have the right technology or the know-how to make humanity flourish. Our problem is, is that just as if there is an element in humanity that wants to see it flourish, that wants to see light in the world, there's also an equally powerful element, the thirst for power, that thirst for control at any cost that is given into the darkness. And this is why we need Jesus to be our light. Because in us, there's great darkness. There's a, there's a fantastic World War II movie, The Thin Red Line, um, while witnessing the horror atrocity of war, not just committed by the enemy, but also by himself and his comrades, uh, the, the main character, private train, he asked this question. He says, this great evil, where does it come from? How did it steal into the world? What seed, what root did it go from? Who are doing this? Who's killing us? Robbing us of life and light. Mocking us with the sight of what we might have known. Does our ruin benefit the earth? Does it help the grass to grow or the sun to shine? Is this darkness in you too? Have you passed through this night? And of course, as Christians, we know that there exists an embodiment of evil in the universe. Satan. And his forces of chaos and of evil, they've been causing problems since the beginning. But we can't simply just push the blame to him, the devil made me do it. We as well are culpable. The first pages of the Bible make it very clear that just as much as Satan is to blame, we are as well. We gave him to temptation. 
We attempted to seize control. We allowed this great evil to steal into the world. In us, there is great darkness. And if we want to see this world flourish, if we want to see darkness driven from this world, then we can't place our trust in ourselves. We need to place our trust in the true light. As John says, who enlightens everything. It's important for us uh, to put John's words, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it, back into its original context. The world may seem dark today, maybe even darker than in Jesus' day, but look at the darkness that Jesus experienced in his own life. And the disciples and, and his contemporaries experienced. Think of the very first generation of Christians. Think of the apostles. Think of Jesus' own mother who witnessed her son die on a cross. This was the man that they had hoped was truly God's light for the world. And he was just publicly executed in front of them. It was the darkest day the world had ever known. And it really had seemed, even if only for a moment, that darkness, for the first time ever, had overcome the light. Jesus, he appeared to his followers as the best, last hope for humankind. Later in John, in chapter 6, uh, we read that many of Jesus' disciples began abandoning him. And Jesus turned to the twelve and he asked them, Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answers him, he says, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. They knew that this man had the words of eternal life. But all over the four Gospels, we see it. They can't imagine that that eternal life would come through his death, through this very dark moment. And when he died, they thought they had lost. And apparently, in John's audience, which would have been a second generation of Christians removed from the event, they struggled with this idea. They struggled with this idea that Jesus had overcome the darkness. Why else would John need to address that the light has overcome the darkness unless they were struggling? They struggled with this question just like you and I struggle with it. Why is there still darkness in this world if Jesus has come? And they too would have been tempted by these two options that we have to ignore the darkness and get used to it or to illuminate this world apart from Jesus. John reminds us also of Jesus' own rejection. Verse 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus shocked at the unbelief of the people. Here, the light of the world was standing before them, the hope for all humankind. God himself made flesh, and yet people rejected him. And part of me wonders if the humanity of Jesus ever raised the same question that we do. I am the light of the world. Why is there some darkness? Jesus himself, he experienced firsthand the true darkness that this world has to offer. 
they didn't simply reject him. They didn't simply write him off as a charlatan or as a fool. They killed him. And he experienced the full darkness of humanity conspiring against him. I can think of no other point in human history darker than the moment we murdered our own creator, the word of God made flesh. And yet it's at this darkest moment that the light shines the brightest. You know, we can't have the resurrection without the crucifixion. And what seemed like the darkness overcoming the light was in fact the moment in which the darkness was defeated. The armistice was signed. The battle was decided. The victory was declared. You know, the last soldier to die in World War I was an American man um, named Henry Gunther. And Gunther died in the literal last minute of the war. Gunther, he had been demoted from sergeant to private. And in the last minute of war, he chose, against the orders of his superiors, to charge the German line. Apparently, he was trying to regain his honor. The, the Germans, they knew the armistice was upon them. That was less than a minute away. And they began to shoo him away. Go away. The war is over. And at that point, he began to fire his rifle. And so the Germans returned fire. And they killed Uther. In the last minute of war, Uther had a choice. He could lay down his rifle, and he could get ready to go home. Or he could continue fighting this fruitless war until the final whistle. He chose darkness that day. He was driven by his desire for his own self-glorification, his own pride. And here's the thing. You and I, we're much like Henry Gunther. We are in the last minute of war. How long this minute will be is anyone's guess. But here's the thing. The outcome has already been decided. And we have a choice to make. Do we choose darkness or do we choose light? Do we just acclimate ourselves to the darkness, let it wash over us, and just accept that this is just the way the world is, there's nothing we can do about it? Or do we keep fighting this war, and not by God's means, not by God's will, but by our own? And if we do either of these things, I'm afraid, We've chosen darkness. We continue on with this war as if the outcome already hasn't been decided. Or do we choose to embrace light? To live in response to the reality that is to come when peace is finally and fully in the world. To walk in the light as he is in the light. As John will later say, in one of his letters, John tells us, again, he was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of the Blood, uh, not of blood, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but God. 
John is a very uh, black and white, either or kind of guy. And he sees the world divided into two groups. Those who reject Jesus and those who have received him. And those of us who have received him, who believe in his name, we become children of God. We're no longer children of this world. Children of darkness condemned to exist in an uh, endless state of war. Through Jesus, we are brought into the light. Made light just as he is light. Because of Jesus, you and I are now free to lay down our lives, refuse to take part anymore in this dark world, and live as if God's ultimate victory is already here. But there's more. This doesn't exist merely to make us feel better about the state of the world, that the darkness is going to go away eventually, to simply help us look on the bright side of things. No, we're supposed to do something. We're still out of It's the last minute. What are we supposed to do in this last minute of war? Should we just sit around and celebrate that it's over? Feeling good that we've got to survive till the very end? I think John's description of John the Baptist is actually really helpful. It's almost like a prescription for us. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, to the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So what do we do in this last minute of war? We spread the good news. The war is over. There's no need. There's no purpose. No reason to fight anymore. We are to testify to the light, saying, the true light is coming, which enlightens everyone. It's coming into the world. The darkness is coming to an end. And yes, it's still dark right now, but the light is coming. And because it's coming, it's time to start living as if it's already here. What would our lives look like if we lived as if the light were already here in its place? When that time comes, the world will operate by a different set of rules. Hostility, self-glorification, selfishness, those things will be replaced by peace, by God's glorification, by selflessness. But here's the thing. We don't have to wait for that final trumpet to start living in that way. We're called to live it in the here and the now. As if it's already here. We can live in peace with other people despite technically still being in a state of war with them. The last minute of war is upon us, and it's time to start preparing ourselves for peace. So I encourage you, live as if the light is here in its fullness. Darkness has not overcome light. The victory is already won, and now all we do is await that final blast of the trumpet to declare the final end of this long drawn out. Maybe so.